0: The trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong, it is sin living in me that does it and i know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature i want to do what is right but i can't i want to do what is good but i don't i want to do what is wrong but i do i don't want to do what is wrong but i do it anyway but if i do what i don't want to do i am not really the one doing wrong it is the sin living in me that does it i have discovered this principle of life that when i want to do what is right i inevitably do what is wrong I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin.
1: Johnny Cash had a way of uh, i don 't know there 's something about his music that transcends well, even if you don 't like Christ- or, uh, country western music, people find him well what do you think i mean that's yeah that 's good stuff and, and I know um, there 's a lot of there 's a lot of life and truth and he, he, if you know about his life and how he experienced life and god and all that that song just seems to come through more clear well my name is Mark um, and I am the pastor uh, I want to say this I'm an imperfect pastor of a very imperfect church I'll, I'll say this, a very imperfect pastor of a very imperfect church I don't want to make myself just you know imperfect when you're very imperfect but yeah but it's it's important to say that and um, to get the pressure off right because it's that pressure that leads us into bad places, and uh, I want to start with some personal stuff that I learned about my own family history. My great grandfather, on my mother's side, so her grandfather uh, was a mean, what, what's called in, in those days was called a mean alcoholic, and um, uh, my grandfather, when he was twelve ran away from home because of that and the chaos that an addiction can create in a home some of you know what that's all about but then uh, and he oh well, by the way he was called in those days so this would have been over a hundred years ago in those days he was called a moral failure the father the mean alcoholic was called a moral failure with weak character that's how an alcoholic was described well uh, as, as you know, there's, uh, genetics is part of, uh, at least, alcohol addiction, and um, my mom, when so this would have been in the late 70s, early 80s, after all of my siblings and I were out of the house, my mom struggled with fibromyalgia. She was diagnosed with that disease. She had a hard time sleeping at night, and she began to use alcohol in a way that became disruptive to our family. And we had to go to her, we meaning my dad and my siblings, and say, Mom, this is, we had to convince her that she was not a moral failure, but that she had a disease. And it's in that, I want to I think about that, the difference between being a moral failure and having a disease. Uh, and it, in the uh, 120 years or so since this modern psychology movement came on the same it's been reclassified in that way. And I'm, I'm grateful for that, that we could go to my mom and say that. We didn't go to her and say, you're a moral failure, mom, you gotta try harder. We went to her and said, no, you have a condition that needs help. And she did, she got help and she never had another drink. So very happy ending to that story. The Bible is clear, and I'm going I'm to be doing some stuff here that hopefully it'll all make sense by the time I'm done. But the Bible is clear that we are all moral failures, and that we all have a condition or a disease. So, and the good news is, and this is this is the part that's really hard for us to receive, is that. We're loved in that place. And I would have loved to be able to tell my great-great-grandfather, who I never knew, or great-grandfather, whatever, whoever will listen, actually, that that's the essence of the Christian life, is to be an imperfect person who receives the perfect love of God. So this series, it's about addictions, and we're going to be saying a lot about that. But it's also important to get this foundation established that... Um, well, I'm going to try to make the case today that to be human is to be addicted to something. And that the biblical category of sin... Am I wrong here? Okay, all right. You can endure me, I can endure you. Um, The biblical category of sin is very similar to the modern psychological word or term addiction. And to build that bridge... Will, will be very helpful. But otherwise, the Bible doesn't have a whole lot to say to us because the word addiction is not really found in the Bible. So this is where we're headed today. I want to lay that foundation. And um, uh, there's, there's not complete agreement on that in the, uh, the community out there, but I think I can make a pretty good case for it. And I, I've done a lot of reading, and I do a list of resources that I've used that will be, will be posted online somewhere in, in relationship to this sermon that's also online. But I also have copies of that uh, with me today if anyone is interested. And it's not, you know, education is a wonderful thing, but one of the things that addicts understand is that education doesn't change you necessarily. The, the problem is really has to do with our will and uh, the things that are going on in, inside of our heart. And education gives us some new ways of thinking, but by by itself it's not really the answer but education is still good I'm all for it uh, better to not be ignorant but uh, it's a discipleship question that's why we gather here that those who are at least curious about Jesus Christ would need to know what does he want from me is there a step I need to take in my life is there a way that I can get more life out of the life that I have so uh, that'll be the focus as well I want to give you an overview, so we're going to deal with stigma and shame of addiction today, and um, definitions, that S should be, I don't know, that's kind of weird, isn't it? <laughs> okay, um, I am an imperfect pastor of an imperfect church, okay, five dynamics of addiction and, and then grace, those are our, um, that's our three, that's the flow of our time here. So a definition. I want to start with a a theological definition, which would be sin, and then I'll go to the psychological definition, which will be addiction. And I want you to see the similarities and the differences between we're trying to build that bridge. And if we can build that bridge, it'll really be helpful in terms of realizing that we're all in the same boat. And if we're all in the same boat, there's nobody that's in a better boat looking down on us because we're in this dumb dumb little dingy thing that doesn't float very well. We're all in the same boat. So theological definition of sin. And if you ask the average person on the street, what is sin? They'll say it's when I do something wrong. And that's a good start, okay? It's when I break the law. The law, whatever that means, uh, could be socially or theologically uh, defined. It's when I do what is, I know what is and, and the Bible says, right here it says in this passage that was read that we, the humans, that as humans we know what is right and wrong and it only gets worse when God says, this is right and this is wrong. Somehow that makes the whole thing worse, that Um, When we were ignorant in our sin, we didn't feel the weight of it in such a way. And um, we end up in this place called death. But the problem isn't that we do something wrong. It's that we have a condition or a disease. Paul uses the phrase sinful nature. So our, the reason we do something wrong is, is deeply rooted in this sinful nature or condition or disease. Similar to what? Addictions, right? It's, it's been reclassified as a disease. Uh, and then the only other thing... So that would imply that we need healing and not just uh, other you know, education or other forms of motivation. We need healing in our sin, for our sins. And then I, I want to make this point, because it comes, it'll it come into play, is that there are, and I, uh, this is the way I would talk about it, there are exterior sins that you can see in other people, and you don't see many of those in churches on Sundays. But I know this, there's another kind of sin called interior sins, and, you know, they're, they're out there. Um, We all struggle with actually both of those. So exterior sins would be things like, uh, well, the Ten Commandments would be with murder and adultery and uh, saying something false about another person and stealing, things that you can actually see people do. But the interior sins are things like judgmentalism. It's a big sin. That's one of the things we're trying to clear the air of this morning as we talk about all being in the same boat but resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness, uh, the sins of the heart. And um, which is why I, I, I love this little phrase of a, 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 a little girl whose prayer was, make Lord, her bedtime prayer maybe, Lord, make the bad people good and make the good people nice. Ooh, that worked. <laughs> but you know what she meant by that, right? Right? The good people, the ones with resentment, the ones who say things that maybe, you know, show that they're better than others. They have pride in their hearts, whatever. So, okay, we have that. So sin is complicated and uh, it's very complex, but it is basically a condition that we all have, according to the Bible. Now, the, the psychological definition of addiction and I'm going to use um, Gerald May, who's one of the people on my resource list, wa- was, wrote some great stuff on addiction. And his definition is a desire for anything in this world that gets attached it gets attached to something through that thing. I mean, it, it, it gets nailed to. He uses the uh, it comes out of the Latin, the word "attach." Or attache, gets, it means gets nailed to. An addiction, get, it's, it's your heart's desire getting nailed to something in this world. And so it could be a substance, uh, lots of those, or it could be work, or it could be sex, or it could be shopping or uh, gambling. You know, the, the, we know the list, and there's, there's support groups for uh, all those things. But he makes the, he uses this phrase anything. He's got a list that's two pages long of of potential addictions and then he says there's way more than this. So um, this is where you may or may not agree with him. Not everybody agrees with him on this but the idea here is that to be human is to be addicted to something. And we'll be uh, probing that further. But things like um, gossip or people pleasing we call them bad habits, right? And uh, um, I don't know if The things of the heart, maybe those interior sins, greed, um, striving for different moods that we have, all of that stuff can be addictive. And and when he uses that, he says they they can fall into this addiction kind of cycle dynamic thing, which we'll get into here in just a minute. So what I want to, I'll I'll further, you know, if that doesn't make sense yet, I'm going to go into more, but... Here's here's what we're here's what we're saying. Here is that addiction and sin are two circles. This is what's called a Venn diagram, right? If you know that from some class you took somewhere on the line, uh, addiction and sin, and that they're mostly overlapping, but there are differences. And I want to point out the extremes or the um, on each side. So an addiction, uh, maybe uh, if a if a baby, this, this would be an example of an addiction where there's the the, the sin of the person wouldn't, but think of a baby that has been born to, born to an addict and they are born addicted and they have to go through withdrawal symptoms. And you, what we would say is that that baby is purely an innocent victim. of. There's no sin in that, on that, I mean that baby didn't choose to be born that way. There's absolutely no choice in it. And then on the sin side, because addiction gets associated with uh, being a victim and sin with, with moral choice, you might have somebody who commits murder who is not a murderer until they commit murder. In other words, it's a one-off sin, right? Um, does that make sense? I mean, it's, it's not that they have this addiction to murdering people. It's just that they, they got really angry one night at somebody. So you have those kinds of things. But what we want to do is, is explore that middle ground where they do seem to come together. And if we can establish that sin and addiction are similar in some ways, then we have a way for the Bible to, when it speaks about sin, to also be speaking about addiction. Uh, that's the logic I'm going with here. So uh, there's a huge overlap, but... I have to say right off the bat that there should be, in some of your minds, there should be a red light going off right now, danger, 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 what's this guy saying? In that, are you saying that, uh, I'd be saying that my grandfather's uh, great-grandfather's addiction is the same thing as my addiction to coffee. And I would say, I would confess to you all that I have a mild addiction to coffee I had two cups this morning, and I don't know what I would be saying right now if I hadn't had those. And I, I, I would honestly have probably have headaches if I didn't. Anyway, I have that in my. Okay. You're only laughing because some of you have that too. Um. So I want to, I want to tell you a story. I this is a funny. It's kind of funny, but it's not funny. I want to tell you about two different guys that that have come to me over the years to confess their addictions. And this will help make the point. Um, there was a a pastor. This was where you know another state, and um, he came to time, and he just with tears in his eyes, he wanted to confess his um, addiction to pornography. He had he had, and this is um, he's not the, he's not the first pastor who has struggled with that. Uh, and anyway, he he came and and. Um, uh, I, I was able to to receive and hear, and and he confessed, and I would check in on him, and and uh, but it was really a big deal his marriage, and he wondered how he could function as a pastor. He was just tormented over it. So there's that. Then I had another guy that was, he wasn't a pastor, but he uh, a guy that came to me with very similar um, sort of I wonder what he's going to say, uh, kind of because he, he said he had something he needed to confess and come clean on. And I know you, this may seem silly, but he was he was addicted to aspirin, and he would take a couple of aspirin every day to get through the day. And for him, it was it was it had all of the it had, it was in he he had it on his watch. He was thinking about when, He was thinking about aspirin all the time. He, if he didn't take aspirin, he had withdrawal symptoms from it. I mean, it was a big deal to him. And I, uh, but I just want to say it wasn't destroying his family and his marriage and, and all that. So the point being is that, uh, that we're going to talk about, uh, uh, not so much today, we're going to get into a little bit today, but uh, the addiction cycle, the dynamic of addiction can apply to any substance. It can apply to many, many different things, some of which will have huge consequences, alcohol, alcohol. Will have huge consequences. O- opiates will have huge consequences, and you know, there. I mean, there's there's things that have way more addic- or way more uh, consequences, but the cycle may be the same. Okay, so there's a, a tie in there to, garden variety sins, maybe, same dynamics. Okay, one more thing to talk about before we get into these five <laughs> dynamics of addiction, and that is, um, be- we have to deal with, or I would like to deal with, this idea of. Back to the thing about moral failure versus a condition, and I'm going to start with um, Augustine, who is one of the amazing fathers of the church. And I want to tell you this right now. We'll probably touch on him. I just read a book um, on his life, but he had he they didn't have a, the word addiction in the fifth century, but he had a sex addiction. If if I'm most people would agree that he really had a problem with sex. He's the one that. His famous prayer before he uh, became a Christian was, "Lord, um, make me chaste, uh, but not yet." That was his his spirituality, and then, and then he be yeah. He becomes this uh, through his conversion, becomes somebody uh, who has so much to say to us. So the enemy had a grip on my will, and so made a chain for me to hold me prisoner. Now that would say that he's a victim, right? That he's, it sounds like an addiction. And this is, he's probably, we don't know for sure, but he's probably talking about his sex addiction at this point. So there's that, and then listen to what he says next. So it's, it's the enemy that is the problem. And then he says, I was responsible for the fact that the habit had become so embattled against me. For it was with my consent that I came to the place in which I did not wish to be. By the way, and we're gonna get in did you hear all that in Paul's reading from Romans about doing all the things I don't want to do? I mean that's that is addictions right there. So this is this is from the fifth century. And and what you find here is this balance between yes you are a victim of a disease, but you also have responsibility. So um, a modern author, Cornelius Plantinga says it this way, nobody is more insistent than AA that alcoholism is a disease. And nobody is more insistent than AA on the need for the alcoholic to take full responsibility for his disease or her disease and to deal with it in brutal candor. So I, I, I just, I want you to hear both of the, one from 1,500 years ago, one from a few years ago, that it somehow is both uh, here's here's my when I hear these words here, I want to share a phrase with you and you're you're gonna hear, you'll probably get tired of hearing this because I got tired of hearing it I had a I had a mentor and we were talking about leadership not addictions but he would uh, I he would ask me how it's going and I would you know there's always something you know in, in leadership that's a, a hassle you know usually it's somebody else's fault right <laughs> all these people you know and he would look and he, you know I always knew I got to the point where I knew what he was going to say. I think he was addicted to saying the saying actually. And he would look at me and he would say, "Mark, it may not be your fault, but it is your problem." <laughs> How many times have I heard that. And what he was saying was, "It may not be your fault." Yeah, people are people wherever you go. But as a leader, you got a problem. you got to step up. you got to take responsibility for it and don't blame anybody else. It's your responsibility. Brutal candor is really important there. One of the things I love about AA folks is they, they tend to go there. And uh, so, okay, there you go. I think we're set up for uh, some things now that we can say about... The uh, five. See, we're going to talk about the five dynamics of of uh, alcohol, or I'm sorry, of addiction, and they would apply. But to we, when we get to the end, we might say the five dynamics of sin. That's what I'm kind of hoping that we'll all kind of see that this is that this is that overlap area, where sin and addiction have things in common. So the first one, tolerance increases, meaning that. Uh, to get the same effect, you have to increase the dose, right? And you, you, this is very uh, well documented in uh, in addiction. You need more to get the same buzz. And um, so the question I, I just want to wrestle with here a little bit is, uh, does that apply to sin as well? And I think we could say that maybe sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Um, I want to read to you from Ephesians chapter 4 because it just... Like I said, the, the word addiction is not in the Bible, but sometimes you, you wonder if it really isn't there, just sort of hidden. So here's, here's Paul saying that due to the hardening of the human heart, uh, having lost all sensitivity in their hearts, they have given themselves over to sensuality, to the desire that gets nailed to something, as Augustine said, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Increasing the dose, the tolerance of doing things this wrong go up to this wrong. You just it's that same thing that uh, the addiction cycle would say. You have to increase the dose. I, from my my own memory, and I, this is this came out of a conversation with somebody who was very wealthy, and they were being brutally have brutal candor. I guess is what I'd say, and they said, "I have everything I need." but I still have this, this, this I, I still love the rush I get when I get more money. I have everything I need, but I love the rush I get when I get more money. Now that's greed. No, normally we wouldn't consider greed an addiction, but do you see how it works? Sin has that same quality to it, at least in, in some instances. Second one. Uh, withdrawal symptoms. And you're thinking, well, how does that work? Uh, we obviously know that if, uh, that it's very common for addicts to have a withdrawal um, symptom of some kind. It might be headaches, uh, or and it could be anything, shakes. Uh, just overwhelming desire that doesn't let go. It's very obvious with substances. But, um, It's what what if in in the care. Let's just say the category of habits. Let's just say you're a people pleaser, and I know there's nobody in the room that is a people pleaser. But I'm lying when I say that. That's the third one. It's it's, it's lying. Okay. Well, um, many of you struggle with people pleasing, and maybe we all do. To some extent, we're just on the spectrum, right? And and, and we know that it can get us into bad places. We may not say it's a sin itself, but it has led us into sin. It's led us into bad places. And let's say that as a people pleaser, something happens where you're doing all your people pleasing, you know, what do you call it, uh, shtick, and somebody rejects you. How do you feel? You're devastated. You have withdrawal symptoms at that point. No, i be tears or whatever. But let's just say that you, th- this is something that we're gonna pick up on in this series because there is a word in the Bible that is really, really similar to addiction. It's, it's the word idol. So let's say you have an idol. Or well, let's say your idol is that um, you, it, you, there's a certain person that you're, you're a single person. There's a certain person that you, you, you say to yourself, if I just could marry that person, my life would be so good. That, that, that's what the Bible would call an idol. If I just had whatever, if, if fill in the blank. If I just had, and you get that thing and you lose it, your life falls apart. Withdrawal symptoms. I'm just trying to build a case that these things can apply to sin as well as addiction. Self-deception. Everybody in addiction will tell you that. Addictions absolutely lose. They deflate. They become weak and wimpy when they run out of lies to tell. Addictions depend on lies. The whole structure, the scaffolding of an addiction is built on lies. This is, this is um, the, uh, you're, you're, uh, you're only as sick as your secrets is uh, an AA phrase or a 12-step phrase. And denial and and self-deception are, are part of that, rationalizing things, and so it's all there. And Paul here in this text says, "As sin deceived me, uh, then I was put to death." Sin deceived. Sin. Think back to the Garden of Eden, where what did the what did the serpent say to the woman? If if you eat that plant, you know things are going to basically he said things are going to be better for you, but he deceived her through lying. He knew that that's not the case. So um, not only addictions, but sin depends on self-deception. Now here's the big one, and we're gonna, uh, well, at least I say it's the big one, but the will, that is your, your ability to make a decision, shrinks. And we know that's true in addictions. So that an, an addict will say, uh, you know, I, I started by clicking on an image, and then I came back. And I came back, and I came back and by the time they came back for the whatever time it 's like the image is clicking on them you You start out by, by by looking at something or taking that first drink, and that whatever it is becomes your master. The, the will gets shrunk if you if you 've been around people with addictions, this is really a big deal, and uh, the ability to make. And, and so in, in AA, uh, that phrase, you know, I needed something stronger than my willpower. And the higher power is the first step, recognizing a higher power, surrendering to a higher power. I need something stronger than my willpower. Paul says it right here. Do you want to read that again? I'll read it for you. I don't care if you want to or not. I'm, gonna, I'm here, I got the microphone. <laughs> Listen to him. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to, do, I do what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. See the condition there. He's responsible. It's a condition, and he's struggling with it, and he is just—I mean—he's beating himself up, which. He doesn't know what to do. We will we, we'll come to that, but, you know, uh, the will shrinks. He, he just can't make it happen. He knows what's right. He's got education. He knows exactly what's right, but he just can't do what's right. Don't you find yourself in those verses? All of you, all of me, all of us, <laughs> that's us. That's the human condition, you know, it's January 12th and I feel sorry for anyone who made a New Year's resolution. <laughs> I mean, that's a, uh, it's hard for 12 days to keep something. Yeah. Our will gets divided and we are we are truly tortured souls in that sense. So the will springs. Okay, one more. We'll come back to that one uh, quite a bit. But obsession. Um, by the way, there's, there, there's other lists out there. This is... Just this is the one I got from Gerald May, but uh, I've seen They're they're similar to this. So, uh, but obsession or preoccupation would simply mean this is. It becomes whatever you're addicted to becomes that thing that you think about all the time. And when you think about something all the time, um, uh, it it, this gets into idolatry. But it becomes that which you orbit around. It. It doesn't orbit around you. You become the moon around it, and. Uh, it becomes the earth instead of the other way around. That's, that's a, a big part of addiction and you might say that you can see how that would happen with anything that is a sin. And the problem is that it really gets into the thing of when Jesus said the way to life is to love God, it's really simple, love God and love people as you love yourself. But if all you're doing is loving yourself, and which is what sin is by the way, self-love. And that's what addiction is too. You, you, you find ways to love yourself without concern for loving God or loving others. So an obsession becomes that which blocks you from God's best for you. So, the, the, but as we get to the end of this, I, I just want you to see the summary would be that for a big part of what we call sin and addiction, there's an overlap. And to be human is to be A sinner, to be human, is to be addicted to something, and we have to think in those terms. Now, why is that so important? This is the grace part. Okay, we're about done. All right. Grace. Um, Addiction or sin is so strong, is it not? I mean, just think of the, the gravitational pull of something, whatever it is in your life that you struggle with. Think how strong that is. And the question is, is there anything stronger in this world? And the answer is grace. It's good news. This is why we can gather on Sunday and say, we have good news. It's not all hopeless. Uh, Johnny Cash's song is great, but there's more to the story. Um, and it's, the reason it's so important that we recognize it together is because if we, if we can see that we're all in the same boat, that there's, there's not the, the cruise ships and then the little dinghies and we're all in the same place and we, we can grace each other in our weaknesses and we can confess each other or to each other our sins and realize that all of us are just loved, imperfect people with no footnotes to our lives. The church is, and somebody said this, it's an old saying, the church is meant to be a hospital for the sick, not a club for the saints, right? Remember that, have you heard that one? And um, it's when we... Own up to our need for God, His grace. Um, Let's see if I have a. This is from an alcoholic. I have a uh, uh, someone who bared their soul. He says, um, "I have to publicly declare I am an alcoholic." Wherever I introduce myself at group, you know, hi, my name is Mark. I'm an alcoholic, or. In my case, I'm a moral failure. I'm going I'm to just say that. I, I've, I'm, I'm a sinner. I have to publicly declare I am an alcoholic whenever I introduce myself at group. It is a statement of failure, of helplessness, and surrender. Take a room of a dozen or so people, all of whom admit helplessness and failure, and it's pretty easy to see how God presents himself in that group take the other side of that in in a group where people don't say they're helpless and failures, it's pretty easy to see how God doesn't present himself to that group. This is why it's so important that we understand grace, that we're loved in the place where we are. Now Paul, who was the most religious man that I've ever come across in terms of just doing what is right and avoiding what is wrong, he um, he says at the end of this passage that was read for us that uh, I'm a prisoner, I'm a slave, and who can rescue me from this imprisonment, this slavery? And then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his answer. And when we think about who Jesus is, that he, uh, he died on the cross, but let's just think about that. He died publicly, nakedly, so just think of yourself just in that sense, public and naked, out on this where everybody can see you as a criminal the stigma and the shame that he felt or that we would feel at least um, is beyond measure. We think about the physical pain but just think of that social pain. And he did it because he loved us. He did it because we were worth dying for. And it's only his grace And uh, it's only the power of grace that will set us free from the law of sin and death and addiction. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, um, gracious, gracious Lord Jesus Christ, who was shamed for us, who who was stigmatized for us, taking our sins, our addictions upon Yourself, out of love for us, out of pity for us. You came down into our place. We pray that you would now come and heal us or begin the healing in us or do whatever you want to do, Lord, that we can have our hearts opened up through the grace, the knowledge of grace, through that wonderful word, our hearts opened up to receive what you have. Bring the light into dark places. Give us community, real community with others who are also in that place of brokenness, broken people experiencing love together. What a wonderful vision that is. We all stand in need of your grace, Lord. In need of your grace and in need of community, a community of broken people who are loved. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.